2: Hey, quick note. There are English and Spanish episodes of Anything for Selena. This is the English one. Si quieres escuchar en español, vuelve al feed y selecciona la versión con el título en
3: español. Produced by the iLab at WBUR, Boston.
0: 1109. So the house is right by the, the
2: family house. Let's go back and look at it. It's a rainy day, and producer Kristen Torres and I are walking around Molina, the Corpus Christi neighborhood where Selena grew up. Her dad described it yesterday as a barrio, remember? Yeah. Selena lived here until her death. She and her husband, Chris Perez, owned a home next door to her parents and a few steps from her brother, A.B., Chris writes about their early life as newlyweds here in his book, both of them in their early 20s, in their red brick home with a one-car garage. Honestly, this feels like a neighborhood, like a neighborhood in El Paso, you know? Mm -hmm. Just like working class or like middle class folks. This looks like my grandma's neighborhood,
0: with all the chain link fences around the houses and the the wild dogs running around. Not wild, but like (laughs) loose dogs. Yeah, loose dogs. Well, they're not even strays. They're just like neighborhood dogs. Neighborhood (laughs) patrol dogs. Neighborhood (laughs) patrol dogs, yeah. My grandma has like 5
3: houses.
2: Molina was founded as a Mexican and Black neighborhood in the 40s during segregation, For decades, there was no running water or drainage. The bathrooms were outdoor pits. It was kind of common for young children in Molina to die of polio or tuberculosis up until the 50s. The roads were unpaved, with no sidewalks or lampposts. The neighborhood largely stayed like this until the 70s, a few years before Selena and her family moved in. There are sturdy, two-story brick homes now, like the one where Selena grew up. But it's still a modest neighborhood.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the signs and houses, like a lot of houses have the
2: little... Uh, Fernandez family, yeah, you know, those, yeah, like, Catholic yeah, yeah, like, yeah, okay. yeah. lot. Selena like... toured around the country and in Latin America, singing to adoring crowds of tens of thousands of people. She won a Grammy. She'd been on a movie set with Marlon Brando, And then, she'd come home here, to Molina, where she decorated her home with Art Deco furniture, green leather couches, black lacquer accessories, a massive fish tank. She'd play with her five dogs, two of which were massive bull mastiffs, and one, a dainty Pomeranian. Or her and Chris's pet python, She'd cook simple meals and mow her own lawn, but only after a long rest. Chris also talks in the book about how, like
0: after, like you know, a tour or like a series of like you know, killer like, interview circuits, Selena would just like go into their bedroom and like pass out and sleep for days. And he talks about like she didn't even want you to like bring her food and stuff. She just wanted to like sleep, and so like.
2: For days at a time. (laughs) For days at a time. I picture Selena being the most at ease here. And I remember that when people would ask her where she wanted to be in the future, she'd simply say that she just wanted to live life.
3: I just hope still to be alive, hopefully singing
1: still, and maybe later on, 10 years down the road, I hope to have a family by then.
2: But Selena, by all accounts, enjoyed Molina until the end. She'd befriend neighborhood kids, take them on go-kart rides, walk barefoot outside. And she,
0: she would just like laugh and, and just like have so much joy of like the feeling of the sunshine and the warmth of the sidewalk on her feet.
2: I think about this moment a lot. I imagine Selena, cloaked in the golden Texas sun, smiling big, the warmth of the earth coming through her bare feet, savoring a quiet moment, a small pleasure. After more than a year of this quest to make sense of Selena's legacy, I'm here, at the last chapter, trying to make sense of it all, trying to land. And I have, but not in the place I thought I would, not how I expected. I'm Maria Garcia. And this is Anything for Selena, a podcast about belonging. On this last leg of my year with Selena, I keep going back to one of the founding ideas of the podcast and something I heard over and over from people about how Selena seemed to have arrived, ascended, like Selena had reached and reached until she built the life she wanted without compromise, without code switching, without contorting herself for others. Over and over, people talk to me about how Selena inspired them to reach, to strive, to arrive to new heights. I noticed it, for example, when I talked to Julian Castro.
3: My walkout song in the announcement was actually to the birds. And
2: he told me about his presidential campaign in 2019.
3: Now I'm forgetting the name. You guys could work on the audio for this part.
2: We got you, Julian. This was the bird song he used to walk out to. His song at the end of his rallies was Selena's Baila Esta Cumbia.
3: But when I got to run my own presidential campaign, I wanted to use that song because to me what it spoke to was Somebody from the Mexican-American community that had been so talented, like so many of the people before, that never had the chance to get there, you know, to that level.
2: After the first few rallies, much of the feedback was the same. People were the most moved by the Selena
3: song at the end. They saw and they heard Baila Esta Cumbia at the end of my speech that was the moment that they commented on. It wasn't about my speech, <laughs> although I, I wanted to think that it was a decent speech. It was that they said that they were moved. Uh, and some said that they even had relatives that cried when they heard that. And I think that that spoke to, you know, again, this untapped potential that the community has always had.
2: Castro dumped the birds and started his rally with Selena rather than end it with her. He became so attached to the song that he allowed a glimmer of hope. What if he got elected? What if he could take Selena with him to the White House?
3: So I let myself dream a little bit at that point. You get a ball, right? There's like a ball at the inauguration usually. And I said... I think what we'll do is that we'll play that song, by vale la Cumbia, as the first song, because it'll be a, a statement about, like, we've arrived.
2: Arriving. To Julian Castro, it's to the White House. Selena, for him, remains a symbol that we could meet our potential, rise to power, create policy, Enact change. Arrive. Now I want to take you to Central Park, summer 2019. The last time I was there, pre-pandemic, the last time I was in a big crowd. It'd been raining on and off all day, pouring, actually. One of those abundant summer downpours, the type with warm, heavy droplets. No creosote bush here, but the smell of hot pavement wafted from the perimeter of the park. Back then, this podcast was still just a glimmer in my eye. And I'd come to Central Park for research. To a concert called Selena for Sanctuary. Several artists like elado Negro and Caliuchis performed covers by Selena. Flanked mostly by hip young people, Tweens and teenagers, some people in their 20s, fewer in their 30s and 40s. The rain for a bit looked like it could derail the concert. It'd been forecasted, but not this intensely. There were a lot of smeared winged eyeliners and frizzy
1: hair, but people still came. Seeing that crowd of kids, you know, like those teenagers that came through, I'm like, this is activism. You know, your presence here is a form of activism. Like, this concert is a protest surprise. The
2: concert was put on by music manager and activist Doris Munoz. She created Selena for Sanctuary to talk about immigrant rights and the abolition of ice. She'd grown up with ice on her mind all her life. Panic flowing through her body every time she'd wake up and couldn't hear her family right away, fearing that eyes could have come for her undocumented family, but spared her, the only U.S. citizen,
1: while she slept. And so I remember every prayer, every morning, um, there's always this line in the prayer that said, um, just praying for protection and, and to keep us out of the eyes and ears of the police and the authorities. Like, literally every single morning.
2: For so long, Doris lived her life this way, literally praying for invisibility. But then, it happened. Her brother was deported. Doris feared her parents would be next. And praying was no longer enough. She wanted to fight, to mobilize. So she turned to Selena, to Selena's image, because who better to unite Latinos around a cause?
1: I wonder what she would think about what we're doing to, you know, essentially utilize her likeness to leverage the needs of our community. But I think, I mean, I would hope that she would be proud <laughs> of, of how our community is coming together to, to fight for our, our own. <laughs>
2: That's how Selena for Sanctuary came to be, with the desire not to be invisible any longer, but to be seen. Maybe this is what it means to arrive, to go from hiding to being out in the open, to walk the world as yourself without obscuring the things that make you you and maybe when we do that when we let go of the mask of the shields we've held out of shame or protection or pressure to assimilate we can finally see each other in the rain wet and dewy singing to selena
1: I started working on the ranch when I was the age of 15.
2: Isaac Hinojosa grew up on the largest ranch in Texas, called the King Ranch. It's hard to believe that until not too long ago, the King Ranch worked like an old hacienda. Families could live on the ranch at no cost if they worked the field for low pay. The ranch owners were white. The field workers, ethnic Mexicans...
1: And I always wanted to learn the tractor, but my grandfather wouldn't let me. And he and I would get into huge fights, you know, about like, when am I going to learn how to operate the tractor? He's like, no, you're not going to do that. But it's not fair. I want to learn. I want to learn. Isaac's grandparents, his parents, and uncles, and cousins,
2: all worked on the ranch. He thought he would too. But his grandpa wouldn't let
1: him learn the tractor. At the very end, he told me, You're not going to do that because I don't want you to stay working on the ranch. And you need to do something else.
2: Yet no one in his family had graduated from high school before him. He didn't know how to get into college, but he did.
1: First generation there. took me, what, eight years to get my B.A. because I had no idea what I was doing.
2: He figured it out through a lot of trial and error, earning two master's degrees and a PhD. He's an English professor at Texas Tech's Corpus Christi campus now. And a few years ago, he started noticing academics using Selena's story and image a lot. There were Selena days at conferences. A bunch of first-generation or Latinx professors would wear their Selena t-shirts in solidarity. Colleges use Selena's image as a way to make first-generation students feel at ease, like they belonged. Isaac started looking back at his own life, at all of the times he wanted to give up.
1: Because I remember any time, you know, when, you know, we had something hard to do, what do we go and listen to? We go and listen to Selena. And for some reason, after we listened to a couple songs from Selena, we felt like, yeah, we can do this. <laughs> You know, yeah. but we're moving forward. I totally relate. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's like this grounding. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kinda re-centers you, right? Where everything else pulls you into different directions. Play a little Selena. You're kinda recentered. You remember who you are. You remember your integrity and you move forward.
2: Move forward. Ascend arrive. There it is again. For Isaac, arriving means access to the institutions that shut us out before. And bringing our history with us. Bringing her with us. That really hit me. I got emotional talking to Isaac about it. It just feels like like, we're bringing her with us. And there's this, like, ethos, I think, in, like, when I think of Mexican-American or Latino upward mobility, or, like, people of color in this country, and to me, it's always been, like, the point of of get, of going somewhere, of going up is to bring people with you. Yeah. You know, is to, like, lift others with you. Yeah. And I think, like, about how her image and like her legacy did that for me growing up and now it just feels like embarking on these journeys of exploration about her now it feels like it's full circle and and then I'm able to bring her with me and you're able to bring her into your work it just feels really really special Has essentially been me trying to prove how Selena changed the world. But to end, I want to do something different. Something I feel I have to do. Something that feels right. I'm going to read a letter to Selena. I want to tell her what she means to me. So here goes Dear Selena. Your father believes that you are in a deep slumber. The Bible, he told me, prophesies that those who have perished but are saved will rise in the end times and that you will wake just as you were. I'm not a religious person, but if by this or some other cosmic way you will one day hear this, I want to thank you. Thank you for never shrinking yourself, even when your Spanish wasn't perfect, even when others tried to control your destiny, even when the world tried to make women like you wilt. You didn't. Instead, you bloomed, radiant and joyous. Your thunderous laugh disarming even the most hardened of cynics Your smile, framed by your full red lips, mesmerizing crowds. Your pride in yourself and in us, engulfing every room. Thank you for never hiding. Thank you for your last concert, a total diva in front of tens of thousands of people, with a Band-Aid on your index finger because your nail broke. Or the time you performed with a half-made updo because you didn't have time to finish your hair. Or the time you burped during an interview. Thank you for being human and not apologizing for it, for showing me what it looked like for a woman to celebrate her body for herself. Selena, I hope that you know That somehow, some way, you're aware of what a big mark you left. I think a lot about this one thing you said.
1: When you're gone, how do you want to be remembered? As, uh, not only as an entertainer, but as a person who who cared a lot. um, And I gave the best that I could. And I tried to be the best role model that that I possibly could, and the best person that I could. I tried to help out.
2: Please know that we know, we know how much you tried, how much of yourself you gave, that you cared, and please know you changed lives because of it. I've made this podcast as an ode to you and a gift for women like us. I knew that going deep into your legacy would illuminate so many things. I was so energized by the idea of telling the world how profoundly consequential you were. I still am. What I didn't expect from this journey was such a personal reckoning. How it would make me look back at the moments in my life when you were there even if it meant revisiting wounds. The wound of being new to this country, feeling lost, trying to understand where I belonged. You were there. And then, Selena, you were there the last Christmas I danced with my father. The last video I have of us dancing. It's to your music. When he died... I buried the grief and myself in work, in ambition. But you, Selena, this year, you helped me face that anguish because I couldn't write about you and your father without feeling the wound of losing mine. The day we finished episode two about our fathers, I wept and wept for days something inside of me made peace that week my entire life i had pushed through burying so much inside but selena this whole thing is essentially a love letter to you how can my heart not be here In the summer of 2020, I decided, rather hastily, to put all my stuff in Boston in storage and take a four-day train ride back to El Paso. I told my boss that I thought I'd write better here. And I did. But if I'm honest with myself, I came back to the desert because I was in crisis. At the end of a relationship that had eroded my spirit for years smiling on Zoom calls, but carrying a deep despair inside. I held on to this web of unresolved grief and trauma that I had so neatly put aside. I used to amaze even myself at how high-functioning I could be despite my concealed turmoil. Until I hit a wall. Because this podcast forced me to face myself that, and therapy. And for months, I wondered what it could have been like if I had written this podcast another time, when I was at my so-called best, when I wasn't trying with every fiber of my being not to fall apart every single day, when it didn't feel like I had to crack myself open to write, because everything was intense this last year. Mothering a child through a pandemic. Rebuilding my life after a traumatic relationship. Excavating inside myself to write a love letter to the woman I'd been thinking about since I was seven years old. Soon after coming back to El Paso, I found a beautiful house for rent next to an arroyo. A nature preserve filled with prickly pears, tall spiky ocotillo plants and an abundance of creosote, the lowly bush that gives my home city that sweet smell after the rain. I had an unencumbered view of the two mountain ranges that nestle El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. It'd been years since I was in the desert for more than two weeks, since I basked in the southwest sun and saw the desert change seasons i slowed down i allowed myself to feel i stopped pushing grief down stopped running from my pain i faced myself and the life i had built for myself and i thought about how far i'd come This girl who went with her parents on the weekends to clean homes. Homes like the one I live in now. This girl who grew up to write, instead of toil her body away, the way her mother did. This girl with the Selena poster on the wall of her trailer growing up, who now has the privilege of telling the world about her idol. And sometimes, after the sporadic desert rain, when I walked outside barefoot, The pavement outside is hot, of course, but also, I don't know, like, healing. (laughs) You know, for somebody who grew up in the desert, to feel it vibrating, coming in, the heat coming into your body from your feet can be really comforting. Those small, but very, like, tangible, real, visceral joys of life. All I could feel was thankful. A deep gratefulness that I had made it back to the place that made me to heal. And I realized that maybe writing this podcast during the hardest year of my life wasn't an obstacle. Maybe it was the biggest gift. Maybe the universe knew I'd really need Selena this year. And in these moments, I could see her more clearly. When I could do something so ordinary, like walk around barefoot and imagine how Selena felt doing it. I think about her again, smiling in the golden Texas light as I am bathed in it now. And that's the thing, right? That's what made Selena her, is that she could tour, she could ascend, she could cross the barriers that we were striving to cross. And yet... She loved the hot pavement. On her feet, she came home. Perhaps the thing that draws us to Selena is not that she ascended. No. Maybe the thing that really draws us is that she arrived to new heights with her feet grounded. That she was here, with us, among us, feeling the earth. That she could tour the world and then come back to herself. And maybe this is what we're truly looking for not to arrive at a new place in the world, but simply to arrive within ourselves, the way I did this year. I came back to myself, to the creosote bush that I have smelled since birth. Except now, the border doesn't feel like a gash. Like a dividing line inside of me. Now, this desert valley and its mother mountains hold me, restore me, make me stronger and softer, knowing more than ever who I am. Because of you, Selena, and for you, anything for Selena. If you like this episode, join us for an after party on Instagram Live, where we'll tell you about the making of the episode, chat with special guests and have a little drink together. Start your weekend with us every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on Instagram. Find us at Selena underscore podcast. Anything for Selena is a co-production of the iLab at WBUR, Boston's NPR news station, and Futuro Studios. I'm your host, Maria Garcia. Our producers are Kristen Torres, Antonia Cerejido, and Juan Diego Ramirez, with additional production assistance from Frank Hernandez, Sandra Riano, and Maria Alexa Cavanaugh. Mixing and sound design by Paul Veidkes, our editor is Marlon Bishop. Ben Brock Johnson is the executive producer of the iLab and contributed production management and editing. Iliana Galvez created the artwork for this series. Original music for this episode was composed by Paul Veitkes. Find out more about Anything for Selena on Twitter and Instagram at selena underscore podcast and at wbur.org slash anything for Selena.